the red flag flying here Political with John D. Clare was the best politics radio show in the Northeast. Right-wing trolls tried to bully the show out of existence. Socialist Think Tank is here to bring the show back to where it belongs. Enjoy Political Unmuted. Welcome to Political Unmuted. Um, you'll notice that Paul's been working really very hard on the introduction um, and it's not just four people talking aimlessly for a while. Thank you very much. <laughs> Whoa, he's started screen sharing and we're, we're getting very excited. Um, I don't know what's happening here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Eating problems, John. It, it, it wouldn't be political if it, it, it didn't go wrong. Um, so I have my three normal guests with me, Paul Daly, the fantastic chair of Sedgefield CLP, Stuart Sutherland, the fantastic um, membership officer, and then from Shildon, poultry woman, supreme, <laughs> chicken thief. Um, chicken sorry, thief. No, Townsend. Um, and I think we've got a jingle, have we? Right, um, this is the moment of the week. Uh, welcome to all my guests. Uh, let's start with Sam. What's your moment of the week? Hello. Well, uh, first of all, I've been asked a very uh, serious question. Do you have a credit for the music that was at the beginning there, Paul? It's John. John knows the credit for the music. It's a group that my son was in oh, a decade ago, <laughs> more than a decade ago. They were called The Spires. Um, I'm sorry about how they failed to make it. The, 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 the big chance coincided with the floods. Um, and you can hear my son on it. The, the, the lead singer is a guy called Matt Smith. Um, but my son is the bit that goes, So of course we need permission to play these things. So I have to mm. get permission to play it. There we go. Tim will be mining their back catalogue as we speak. They were very, uh, yes. very good. <laughs> my moment of the week, uh, if you follow my social media channels, you will know that today I, I went and visited some of our um, businesses in Shildon. I am a town councillor in Shildon and that's one of the things you, you do. You're basically like a, a state-sanctioned busybody that goes up and talks to people that you'd usually have no business talking to. Um, so I just I knew a couple of businesses that were doing some good work so I just went down to say hello um, and this uh, business in Shildon Easy Tech it, I, I was just totally blown away by their community spirit and it's really frustrating to me because I want to help these businesses but when you set up a business as a business uh, you're a profit making enterprise it's really difficult to try and get people funding that they should use um so i'm gonna have to see if i can help him in other ways which i'm doing by talking about him here um and talking about him to the town council which i just did in a meeting this afternoon so basically um this gentleman who is running this business easy tech it's a computer shop 
and they set up two weeks before the lockdown, um, uh, which is, you know, that could break some businesses and what he decided he was going to do instead is he was going to um, push his energy towards helping people and he's going around on Facebook Marketplace and scooping up broken tablets and laptops driving around on a Sunday, scooping them up, taking them home, fixing them, and then giving them to kids so they can do their schoolwork and local businesses so that they can sort of try and talk to their customers on social media, uh, which is just a brilliant, you know, it's a wonderful thing for him to do. Um, and it is costing him money, but, mm -hmm. I, you know, I said, obviously, when you do something like that for somebody, they do remember it and, Hopefully, he's, he's getting customers for life, so it will come back to uh, reward him in the long term. And the post I've put on about him today on my social media have been very well received, so I do hope that I've been able to help get more people to go down, to go down there um, and help him out and buy stuff. Some people have been absolutely fantastic during mm. the lockdown, and I think we need to, to remember. Um, Stuart, um, moment of the week. Uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, shout out my union, it's uh, Unite Community, and tomorrow will be the online day of action for the Universal Discredit Campaign, where basically, you know, it's the three demands of ending the five-week wait on Universal Credit, uh, getting rid of the sanctions that are basically, you know, needless at this point, and uh, making sure that we retain the increase of the £20 that went to uh, people uh, on universal credit uh, for the COVID crisis and uh, try and get that out to people on legacy benefits as well. Uh, so that's going to be taking place online tomorrow. I'm sure there'll be lots of stuff posted by me. Um, fantastic. I have never been able to understand what was going through anybody's head thinking that somebody who is needing state basic benefits actually could do without money altogether for five weeks. Um, just, yeah. Yeah, you have to have a slate missing upstairs. I think we're going to be talking about this, um, uh, uh, the government's lack of comprehension about the basics of life. Um, and when we come to talk about our first uh, issue as well, just, just crazy decisions um, and you wonder. So anyway, good luck with that. Um, sort of, um, uh, sort of, and um, Stuart Sutherland, you're putting stuff out on your Facebook page, will you be? I will be, yeah. Also, just join a union. If you're not in a union, join a union now. Essential. Essential. Um, and increasingly essential. And finally, he, he asked me that I should come to him last because he's been doing all his wizardry um, on the uh, call. Moment of the week. Um, it turns da, out I didn't, da, da, da. I, didn't, I didn't need to go last because I did that thing at the start anyway. But you know, I did ask you for that, so I appreciate it. Um, this is my moment of the week, and Samantha might be able to help out as well. So, this is a double moment of the week. Um, oh, no. so we've got face masks on, and these face masks are causing Conservative Party members to cut up their membership card today because they feel betrayed because the government have brought in mandatory face masks in shops. Not in schools, by the way. So I've been in schools for the past two days um, and we still have to, uh, we still are not allowed to wear face masks in school. But, you know, 
I think personally, even if there's a tiny chance, 0.1% of a chance that it might save someone's life, I think it's worth doing. It's really, really not that difficult. And um, me and Samantha both own this very fetching, We Shall Overcome. Um, from, uh, and, and this is We Shall Overcome is something that Joe Solo and many friends set up. And it's, it's raised over half a million for different, uh, for different schemes to help the homeless, all sorts of different things. There'll be more on that on Social Stink Tank on Sunday when Joe Solos is released. But uh, shout out to both um, face masks in general, the Conservative Party members who were cutting them up uh, or cutting up their membership cards because they feel betrayed because they believe they believed what was originally told to them, that they're useless. And... Um, now they've obviously changed their mind and also to Joe Solo for being a good human being. And now we have this as well, this no Kassaran thing there. So uh, that's quite good as well. So plenty going on there. Joe Solo is the um, singer who plays us out at the end of every... Yeah, um, and, he, and he's also responsible for that little jingle right at the end of the song as well, which is absolutely fantastic and we're delighted about. Yes, thank you, Joe Solo. Uh, and what what were you saying about him being on socialist think tanker later? Um, I've done a, I've done an interview with Joe on Sunday, and it's a real cracker. It's it's really good. It was a, a pleasure to do, and um, Joe's just a really nice person. And it's not it's like we, we normally speak entirely about politics or trade unionism, but there's a bit of music in there as well. And it's a nice interview. I enjoyed it. Well, keep your eyes open for that, people. Um, so the, and now it's time for... Now it's time for the big story. I mean, this is just beyond belief. Wonderful, isn't it? We're this living is in the future, John. <laughs> I did a pretty Patel smirk. Like I did a heart smile. <laughs> danger, <Yeah>. danger. <laughs> You deserve to smirk, is all I can say. <laughs> uh, the big story this week, um, uh, Samantha, how has the Prime Minister caused fury this week? Oh, man. <laughs> I, just, I mean, this is a story we're going to see repeated over and over again. He's tried to blame care home managers for excess deaths of coronavirus um, and we will see them trying to blame teachers when schools start back if schools start back in September we'll see them blaming parents for the fact that kids have dropped grades when they've been off school you know it's always somebody else's fault isn't it even when you're steering the ship um, and, and this is it's, it's a divide and conquer um, it's, a, it's a strategy to turn us against each other and to point at each other rather than pointing up at who's making the choices but um and I've got friends who work in care homes um as I'm sure a lot of us do and that I could feel their pain I could feel how betrayed they were you know I know people who who've told me that they voted conservative and they work in a care home and this has shook them because kind of the the narrative was that Johnson was like a nice guy like he might not be the type of guy that you actually wanted to have a, a beer with but he was uh, uh, he was harmless and a bit fluffy and a bit silly and but actually they're coming to realize that he is a calculating political animal 
and they will get thrown under the bus just like everybody else will. I mean, like I've said before, I'm in the, the situation where I actually do have a family member who died in a care home with COVID-19 and I don't blame the care home staff. No. Um, and I don't know anybody who else, I know a few people who are in the same position. I don't think anybody, anybody does because we know that the people who work there and the people who, who manage those facilities do everything they possibly can within their, within their control. And unfortunately, the structures, as they were set up, were not set up to withstand a pandemic. I mean, what strikes me, Samantha, is that, first of all, they were releasing people from the NHS who they knew had coronavirus. Yeah. And others that they weren't quite sure, directly into care homes. They were, didn't give the care home workers sufficient PPE. They, they were screaming for PPE for most of those early weeks because mm -hmm. sort of they were trying to do everything to get everything into the NHS and then didn't manage it. Then what happened, they made care home workers who thought they had it quarantine, but they then, of course, the care homes had to uh, employ um, agency staff who were being allowed to go from care home to care home. So they picked it up and just spread it around the care homes. And, and, and sort of at the end of the day, um, the instructions to the care homes were so confused and yeah. inadequate that they were having to sort of virtually make it up as they go along. And, and sort of for the, after that, for the, M, M, the PM to turn around and say, and of course, well, of course, they got some of the things wrong. So it, mm. it was outrageous. I mean, why did you think, why do you think he did that? Uh, like, I, just, I think this is a common um, tactic of politicians, specifically of Tory politicians, to just shrug off sort of responsibility as somebody else. The whole thing about conservative uh, political ideology is, of course, that the individual should have full um, freedom and responsibility over their own actions. That's why they've been so soft-touched on any um, imposing, like a harsh lockdown, because they were like, well, you really should, but it's not really in the conservative ideology to enforce things like that. So, um, and then when people don't do it, because of reasons, economic reasons, because you, your person who's in the gig economy or on a zero hours contract, contract is disinclined to take two weeks off work just because they've got a cough. Um, for financial reasons, that then becomes the fault of the individual rather than the fault of the state. Uh, and that, that I noticed, Sam, is, is that they do this on everything. They're doing it on face masks in shops, shops at the moment. They announced the rule for us but then a whole load of um, government ministers and prominent people blatantly disregard that. And it's almost as though they're inviting people. They didn't impose, and so they impose, but then they invite people to, to poo-poo the whole thing. Um, Paul, um, a, slap in the, uh, a slap in the face for the care home sector? Yes. Um, <laughs> is <there some laughs> for that? Yes. Um, so... We've got the situation very similar to what we've seen with other sectors. Um, you know, we've, we've had uh, teachers were the villain or, or you, teaching unions, which actually I take to see as, uh, as teachers because teaching is one of the most, um, most unionized professions there are. Um, and when they went after the teacher unions, unions just mean the people who work in a place 
meaning the teachers. So <laughs> the teachers are, are daring to ask to be safe at work. And they were, I remember they were shirking their responsibilities and yet we were in, we were actually in, I remember like being in school and reading about how I was so lazy and wouldn't go to work. And it's quite <laughs> interesting. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a slap in the face, but I think it's interesting the way, the way the story has evolved. And it's like, do we even care about the truth anymore? Because, you know, if we did really care about the truth, people would be furious. And I think people have grown extremely tired of, of lies and so much so that they just resign to them. Like that it's almost apathy towards them. So, oh, well, that's what they do, isn't it? That's what everyone does. So we had um, Boris Johnson originally saying that care home workers were, well, not care home workers, but care homes were responsible for this because they let people in with coronavirus. However, if you go back to the guidance at the time, it said that they actually had to do that. And it was part of the strategy in that if, if people were discharged, they could still have coronavirus, but they would be discharged into care homes. And we all said, won't that push this virus into care homes and make it very dangerous? And they said, no, no, it'll be in a separate place. It'll be, it'll be off to the side somewhere. It'll be, it'll be secure. It won't be a problem. And it was a problem. It clearly was a problem. But then after being called out on this and Boris Johnson was very upset and said, oh no, actually I wasn't saying anything bad about the care homes, even though I just said something bad about the care homes. What I said is none of us could have known that um, this virus was uh, transmittable by asymptomatic people. But I clearly remember in March having read a number of articles about asymptomatic transmission. And if you go back to January, it's the end of January was the first time they were saying, actually, we think this is transmitted asymptomatically. So yeah, Paul, what does it mean, tra transmitted asymptomatically? Without symptoms. So coronavirus was very, very early on. And it's one of the first things they, they found very strange about this was that people were transferring it without symptoms. In Parliament the other day, Boris Johnson said, I think it was during Prime Minister's Question Time, no one could have known it was transmitted asymptomatically, apart from the fact that they did know that. It was discussed at the time about how like, people without symptoms um, can transmit this, which is why we had to have that 14-day period. Um, if you, even if you didn't display any symptoms, you had to you know, restrict your movements and stay in your home because you could pass it on asymptomatically. And then to sort of go back and say, actually, actually, no one could have known that. It was impossible to know the facts that we stated at the time. And that's why we sent them into the care homes because no one knew, even though we did. <laughs> it's just, come on now, at what point are we just gonna say? It lies that the truth has become so abstract now to this government that you know people have just given up hope, I think, and so, well, they're never gonna tell the truth. Stuart, um, is just today, um, or was it yesterday, um, announced an absolutely devastating decision on immigration as well, hasn't he, which is going to harm the care homes? Well, they did. They've essentially uh, said that there's no provision for people who work in the you know, adult services, uh, social services, like any provision to get a visa to work here. And more, most of them are on about 16 grand a year. So they're nowhere near the, the uh, baseline level of income you need to, to be getting a visa. So that's completely 
destroyed any opportunity there. That's about 10% of the posts that need filling are going to go without. And the government's plan is to invest in our own people, which they could have done over the last 10 years without issue. You know what I mean? Just I mean, it strikes me as being terrifying, Stuart, that what they're doing is they're, they're, they're getting rid of the 10% before they've actually begun to recruit yeah. the replacements. You can't, you can't just make people, you know, overnight. You know, training takes time. Wanting to, to build a system that uh, creates the right kind of people to take on these jobs because it isn't a brilliant job. It's a tough job and it doesn't pay well. Paul? I have a really novel idea because this is all based on that threshold of an unskilled worker being paid things. It's all on pay, 25,600. Why don't we say that um, people in care homes are skilled and should be paid more than 25,600 pounds to look after our, our ill people, our, our elderly people, the people we love? Maybe, just maybe, that should be considered a skilled profession. Sam? This is um, another lens that we need to look at our um, response to coronavirus through is obviously how it's affected uh, women uh, and ethnic minorities, of course, but particularly women, if we look at, um, if we put money into the care industry, because a lot of people who work in care homes are women, if we put money in there and increase the wages of care home, people who work in care homes, first of all, those would be green jobs. It's part of the green economy. It doesn't create any more uh, pollution or whatever. Uh, it increases equality in our society and those jobs um, there was research done by um, a group called the Women's Budget Group, and they actually said these jobs are actually better for the growth to the economy than putting the same amount of money into construction jobs. So it, there's a really sound economic reason to raise the pay of people in care homes, not least because when you are in a care home, you don't actually want to be uh, cared for by somebody who's on a minimum wage and just there because they they're struggling to get a job elsewhere. Um, these should be, they are skilled workers and we should be treating them as such and valuing them as such and paying them as such. Definitely. And um, it's sort of, when you get to my age, you, you, you're very aware of, of the fact that, that you want good people um, in, in, in the care homes because it's likely you're going to end up yourself there very shortly. Paul? Um, just on that 25,600 threshold, I believe that was brought in so that no person who, um, who comes to our country is in the position where they can claim benefits because this was perceived by the Conservative Party to be a really bad thing when people come over to uh, the UK and claim benefits. And a lot of those people are claiming in-work benefits, meaning that their jobs do not pay them enough to live in a in a in a, a really dignified and secure manner. So why are why if that is what the government think is the threshold for twenty uh, five thousand six hundred to live a, a dignified life, then why in the world is anyone working full time expected to work for less than that? It's Absolutely. <laughs> We've only just changed the rules for them that um, we haven't got them uh, working for free when they had to stay overnight, virtually. Mm. Uh, and, sort of, and that's only just been, uh, the, the way we've been treating care workers for many years is, um, 
it's horrific. The, the government's pumping billions into helping the care um, industry, isn't it? Am I right in that? Have they not got big plans for it? <laughs> they're always saying that they've got big plans for it, aren't they? They're always saying, oh, we're doing this, we're doing X, Y, and Z. It's a really complex issue. And there's, there's complex issues of privatization. Um, there's complex issues of, uh, you know, people running these businesses for a profit. Some owners are really ethical and do some really good things. Like my, my best friend um, sets up care homes, um, not for the elderly, but for people who are, you know, maybe have a learning difficulty or had a really difficult time in the past. It does a, it does a really good job and a really ethical job, but there's an argument there as to whether that money should be able to like go towards profit as well. You know, is that the best thing? Obviously that, that person's done an extremely good job and is extremely good at his job. And so all the people that work with him, but there's another argument there as well. And they're always pumping billions more in, but I still, I'll come back to this numbers thing. Do people really understand numbers? Because like a billion, for some people, it sounds like a big billion. Some people think, well, actually, you know, a billionaire, they've earned it. And like you could, yeah, it's a thousand million. So you know you could spend a million a thousand times over, and that's a billion. Um, it, it's such an astronomical amount of money um, that for an individual, but people are willing to justify that. Well, they've earned that money. That's fine, you know. And if they want to put that in the Cayman Islands and not pay tax, who who should be telling them to pay tax? But then, but then you you go back to it and you'll say, well, we're putting a billion in the in the care homes, and like, well, a billion over the, that number of people becomes a much smaller figure. So why is it okay for an individual to have a billion and not pay tax on it, but then a billion goes into a lot of money and people are like, oh, they've put a billion in. And it, it's, it's people's understanding of numbers. And I say this as a math teacher, not to try to be patronizing, but human beings aren't designed to understand numbers so big. You generally people kind of can understand what fits into a football stadium because they can see it. They know what 40,000 people or even 80,000 if you go to Wembley, they know what that looks like, but they don't understand what a billion looks like because we've never seen a billion. You were talking about this last week uh, when you said, you know, the, the, we're going to have each child going to school and they're going to spend two minutes getting ready to be, be mm -hmm. sort of get their hands washed and sort of, if you have a school of 800 people, that, that, that means that the last person will be, uh, at the end of the queue, will be getting in after lunch. And, and it's when you, when you sort of see these things and they're out working. Um, thank you, everybody. That's um, some smashing thoughts about um, how the uh, government have really let down our care, care system. It's in desperate need of funding, not reform or restructuring, just a proper funding. And if it were to get proper funding, then it could pay proper wages. And if it were to pay proper wages, a lot of these problems would go away. And um, we've got another jingle, Paul. Yeah.
Some problem with the suppression there, but so thank you very much, Paul. It's not very exciting. It's not your fault. Um, it's uh, Zoom's fault. Um, but then, Paul, it's your go. Who's been serving up two small portions to save the economy? Oh, it's 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 Mr. Sunak, the um, the the saviour of the country, and he's, he's becoming very very popular, Mr. Mr. Sunak. Um, Richmond MP, Richmond. He is an MP from Richmond, and yes. um, he was also very much implicated in uh, in one of the companies that um, is very, very, very um, deeply involved in the 2008 financial crisis um, that actually caused it. So it's it's very interesting that like you know the way Iceland dealt with the people who were heavily implicated in that was to to jail them. We put them in charge of the economy, but you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's us, I suppose. <laughs> but um, yeah, Mr. Sunak's done um, a, a few little tweaks to the budget. Um, there are some interesting ones. Uh, there was, there was, a, there was, there was some you can kind of get behind quite a few of them in principle. Um, I think the one around uh, paying companies to retain jobs. I think that it wasn't a thousand pound if they kept their employee on to a certain stage. There is still a cutoff where they can just say, right, we are going to sack you because we saw quite a few firms um, taking furlough money and then getting rid of the jobs anyway. Um, and, you know, there's an incentive for people to keep the jobs, to keep the, those jobs going for a little while longer, which is, is a good thing. We want to see people in jobs. Um, Perhaps it could have been done differently, but I'm not going to go too hard There's on that. There's some criticism one. there, Paul, of the, of the Chancellor, because he's paying them the money at the end of the process, mm. when really it's, it's you know, we're in a situation where if they've kept them on, they're just going to get sort of a gift of a thousand pounds. But they've clearly had the ability and the money in the order stream to be able to keep them on anyway, because they're giving them the money at the end of the process. It would have made more sense, surely, to give them the money up front and then require them to keep that job open, um, sort of, uh, uh, because they need that money to keep those workers on. We're seeing um, an awful lot of, as we come out of furlough, um, I've explained this before, you don't get your bankruptcies during the crisis. The um, firms hunker down and survive the crisis um, but when they're trying to come out of the um, crisis, they find that they've not got the savings to be able to keep their cash flow going. And it's then that they have the problems and it's that then that they fail. They, they fail coming out of the crisis. So we're going to be seeing, um, there's a danger, let's put it that way, that we're going to be seeing a lot of firms failing in the next few weeks as we come out of the crisis because they're going to be unable to get things going and people are going to start pressing. So um, we're going to see an awful lot of people who were furloughed but who are having to be laid off because the firm is having to restructure because it hasn't got the cash flow to solve. I think we're also seeing socialism for the rich again um, because, like, you know, this is every employee, every company can claim this thousand pounds. And it was interesting that right at the very, very beginning of this crisis, there was a tax break given to some big firms and it was somewhere in the region of 690 million was claimed by Tesco um, in the, that should have gone into the public should have gone into public funds 
Um, I hate saying tax, saying taxpayer funds, by the way, because taxpayer funds makes it seem like we give the government money and then they decide how to do it. But that's actually not how it works, apart from if you're in Robin Hood. But, um, you know, it's like a very old way of doing it. That's not how economies work. But um, they, they, they're giving public money away to these big firms who are giving it away to their shareholders as an extra bonus. Um, they didn't need that. Tesco didn't need that because they haven't suffered. It was all they were like during the first month of the crisis. Oh, it's our best month since Christmas. You know, this is the this is the best thing, best month we've ever had outside of Christmas for ever. You know, so um, so they didn't need that. But they took that tax break. They could have gone into public money. And yet, I saw small business people really, really struggling, not knowing where the next bit of money was coming from. And it seems to be if you're a massive firm, a massive company, you get quite a lot from this government. And that magic money tree that was so fabled um, during both the 2017 and 2019 elections can be found for them. And, the, you know, so that's basically the way economies work. You can do that. You can there's, been definite, there's been definite winners and losers. And one of the criticisms of the original schemes that he introduced was that they were just blanket across the economy and it didn't take into any account the fact that different sectors have been affected differently. Let's look at some of the things he did and see what you got to think of it. Sam, um, a two billion pound kickstart job creation scheme for youth, including a grant of 2,000 pounds per annum per apprentice. Surely you've got to give him some credit for that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the the way this is how it works, isn't it? They sound good until you look at the details. The details generally aren't actually available until quite further down the line. But, you know, we're talking about uh, creating jobs specifically for young people, jobs that don't currently exist. So if they don't currently exist, why don't they currently exist? Are we inventing jobs for this scheme that people aren't actually going to be able paid enough to live on it's it's just just a bit weird and again i i i am uh, frustrated because we know how to improve the economy there are loads of like i said the women's budget group and there's loads of other groups and organizations who research policy all the time and if you ask anybody who um researches policy and is in involved in something like uh, the Citizens Rights Bureau, a really favoured um, approach to what about that from them is to increase child benefit. Because most houses get child benefit, um, it's a, it, there's no paperwork to it, um, and what people need is money in their pockets to spend on what they need to spend. Mm. And that's what our economy needs, is it needs to move. Um, I was sat there the, through the uh, announcement, sitting, listening to these humongous numbers and thinking, how is it possible that he's announced all of this stuff and I've still got absolutely out? You know, I'm not, I don't own my own house. I'm not going to buy a house <laughs> anytime soon. Um, I actually do run a business. I've got a business premises. A we were pretty happy to start with the ten thousand pound we got through the uh, business rate scheme is really good um and we've but we've burned through that now and my business we can sort of operate on a social distance i mean our model is basically around getting groups of parents together so we can help parents on a one-on-one -on -one basis but we can't do that and get enough money to keep our business open 
and we rely on volunteers who are parents who can't volunteer for us until their kids go back to school. So we literally have had to give notice on our business premises um, and we're going to have to, we're in between, do we get another premises? We've had some, seen some good ones or do we literally put the whole business, put half the business in sort of suspended animation until schools go back um, and just do, like I said, a little bit of one-on-one -on -one stuff where we can. Uh, it's really frustrating. It, it's really frustrating because um, there's lots of people like me who want to do things, but somehow the help isn't being directed to us. And it is going to places like Tesco and Weatherspoons, and you just think, come on. But it took him ages to eventually to help self-employed people at oh, all. Well, I mean, they weren't going to. This is another thing. They weren't going to. And the reason they did was because of such, uh, such a big um, hoo-ha was made over it. And this is another way this government acts, isn't it? It leaks out bits of, leaks out bits of policy. And then if they get reacted too badly in the media, they change it and they tweak it slightly right before it goes out. And that's why... They aren't I thought they were following to... the science, and I thought they shouldn't follow the, <laughs> the science. science that says do and also don't wear a mask at the same time. You know, it's all right for some of us who've got two faces, but for those of us with only one, we have to choose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stuart, here's another thing. Job centre work coach numbers to be doubled. Ooh, well, that indicates that there's going to be more people needing coaching to look for jobs, which means a more competitive job market, which likely means worse wages and conditions for workers and a shift away from older workers to younger workers because you can pay them less. So that's, that's not a good sign for anyone. I always, I always, um, I mean, sort of, I really object to this because one, it rather assumes that if you can't get a job because the economy is, is, is collapsing, it's your fault. Yeah. What you need is coaching. And if you were just coached, you'd be able to get one of these non-existence jobs because there's jobs out there. Uh, so it's not the economy that's suffering. Um, and, and, and it's um, all part of a, a desensitizing of the system and, 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 and laying the blame on the individual rather than the situation, Paul? Just um, to link in with what you were saying there, it's very much to do with this aspiration as well. And we, we're told in, in schools a lot of like, they talk about white working class boys, which actually I think really, really divisive thing to say because what's the difference between a white working class boy and, and a black working class boy? Actually, it's the working class bit that's important because you know, those people have very similar issues. And if you look at it, there's no difference between skin color in that one. But, um, you know, they will say, well, you know, they lack aspiration. They lack aspiration. Tell you this for nothing. No one lacks aspiration, like to have a nice life, have a nice job, but they might lack opportunity to do something with it. So if they're saying, um, if they're saying, well, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, they don't aspire to be a doctor or they don't aspire to be um, a lawyer or they don't aspire to be a hedge fund manager. <laughs> it's like, well, how many of these jobs are there out there? And what's wrong with doing a nice, sensible job? Or, or what's wrong with doing a manufacturing job? Oh, hang on, there aren't really that many of those anymore or as many as there used to be. And it's opportunity that's limiting people, not aspiration. 
Okay, Paul. Next, I'll give you the next one then. Three, talking about proper jobs, three billion pounds for decarbonizing housing and public building. Now, surely you've got to agree with that. Surely you've got to say that's a smashing thing. Great well, big um, glad they're doing it. Uh, I think it's estimated that uh, 14 billion is what's necessary to do that. And again, they talk about big numbers and things like that, like three billion. Yeah, on, on the scale of an economy uh, the size of ours, it isn't a huge amount, although it sounds like a huge amount. And I do get that, though. It sounds like a really, really big amount of money. It's a massive amount of money. Three billion? Hang on, you'd have, that's like almost, it's almost like, well, it's almost as a Richard Branson, isn't it? It's almost as much as You spend a Richard Branson on that? It's a, it, you know, that's that's where we are. You know, this is it, it, there are people that are that individually wealthy, um, or, or Jeff Bezos's case, wealthier than a lot of nations, which is absurd. But then you know, so yeah, it's it's good. It's good. They're also spending two million on some other green scheme. Two million. See, I have a big problem with this, Paul, because there's many more things they should have given that. Um, that 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 money for um, sort of um, s stimulating um, a, a, a sort of a cashback a, um, a, a, a scrappage scheme for cars if you were buying an electric vehicle. I mean, we could have really used that to stimulate. Um, that just that wouldn't of, work well with um, with the oil companies, though. No, no, I'll give you just a sort of you got 15 seconds to explode and then I move on to Stuart for the last one. Um, so I said, cutting stamp duty. Surely that's oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is one of, one of those. I mean, thank you so much. Like I said, as somebody who has rented my whole adult life because I haven't been able to scrape together to buy a deposit in Shildon, where I can buy a house for £60,000, right? <laughs> Increasing the threshold for stamp duty will not affect any... There is literally not a house for sale in Shildon that I could spend that much money on <laughs> to save any money at all. And we're talking about you know the the amount of money saved um saved for those people versus how much they're spending on that house and therefore how much their annual income must be it, i mean um i understand it's about getting people to buy houses and, and that does stimulate the economy but how it's in the wrong way well that's that's Completely the, the thing. Oh, we're talking about buying new houses man <laughs> but um so the, but the if you buy if you buy new houses, it, it does falsely stimulate the economy, doesn't it? It does like you know, it 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 seems that more money's circulating and it more money's being invented by banks because every time a mortgage is is created, they that's just the numbers on the screen that you now owe the owe, mm. owe the bank. You know, so the bank has created money, so that is it's a form <laughs> it's a form of money creation, but what it is, it's it's doing it in private debt. So it's a really, really complex thing. But again, it is not a good way to stimulate. It doesn't put money in people's pockets. It puts money yeah. in people's pockets that ends up in the Cayman Islands. And then... Um, last up? one, Stuart. VAT cut from 20% to 5% in the hospitality industry. Again, surely. 
that, I mean, we, you, you've been very negative people about everything you've talked about. He's trying his hardest. Uh, <laughs> you uh, the down as surely pushed you. Why is it five? Good thing. Why didn't they just land on five? Did it just sound like a good number? Does that sound impressive? 20 down to five? Is that what they're going for? I don't, I don't know why. I it's got to be better than the vouchers. <laughs> it's got to be better than giving them, you know, a half price vouchers to stimulate the, the hospitality industry. Well, that's the silliest thing in known, isn't it, really? And let them oh, eat cake. Oh, let them eat cake. Anyway, or, or people who are willing to risk having catching the virus. And, you know, like, I, I went to the, the pub the other day, um, sat outside at the Castle Eden Inn, which is really, really nice. Um, and they were doing a really, really good job of social distancing. A fantastic job. I didn't go near to anyone else. It was really good. Really good. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone in because we're out and going to walk with, uh, with our dog. It's good, but you know, I want to see those businesses continue. I want to do that, but I, I, it seems to again, if you can afford it, you can get everything half price. If you're willing to risk it, you can get everything half price. You do could it. anywhere. I mean, you could go on the internet and get a Groupon. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, everybody's been doing this already. This isn't a new idea. Yeah. Boris has just got the world's biggest group on voucher and he's sharing it with us. Yeah, but the it's I mean, I'm going to interrupt Paul, sorry. Money, um, we need so. to move on from this topic. Um, just mm. before we go, I just want uh, in one sentence, one sentence, people, what what would you have wanted him to do to kickstart the economy again? Start with you, Paul. Just one thing you would have wanted him to do that he didn't. The Green New Deal. Um Stuart, one thing. Quit. Sorry? If you could quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Samantha, um, one thing you would have wanted to see the Chancellor do that he has Yeah, I would have raised child benefit. I think but I don't think that's a very conservative thing to do. <laughs> Pay the NHS money instead of just clapping them. Right, um, mm. last um, topic. Um, uh, Stuart. Who is planning to shake the institution we've all just been applauding? Uh, Boris again, or Dominic Cummins, or whoever really runs the show. Uh, they're going to be getting rid of, is it getting rid of trusts and merging them into different groupings and making them more powerful and bringing them under government control? Good or bad? Right, well, you're essentially just making more powerful government-aligned players in the, in the NHS. That's not a good thing, is it, for patients if government decisions are kind of leading clinical decisions a certain direction? It's, 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 I mean, what's, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, uh, give the government more control over the NHS. They've, they've not been satisfied with the way the NHS has responded during the crisis, and the, so they're trying to give themselves more control over it so it'll be more responsive. Sam, good idea or bad idea? Well, like many things, things can be a very good idea until you apply a conservative ideology to them. So the idea of universal credit could have been a good idea if, if it was done uh, on, on a different sort of set of ideals. The reason 
the NHS is like it is, the reason it's, it, it's hard to transfer information from one department to another department is because we've created this fake internal market structure, uh, which is what the Conservatives have wanted all this time and now they've realized why it doesn't work because in a time of crisis you don't want to be dealing with six million gdpr forms just to transfer one patient from one hospital to another hospital and you want to be able to access their healthcare records without jumping through loads of hoops with their gp surgery um i don't know the ins and outs because it is very complicated the way the nhs is structured I would like to see it run in a better, more nationalised, direct way, but I don't trust the Tories to do it. Paul, um, is this the the time for radical restructure anyway? I think uh, the, the NHS have just been through something massive. Uh, it was very, very difficult for them to procure PPE. Um, that was the government responsibility. Um, they did try to blame it on trusts and what have you, but you know, there was a there was a national shortage. They ran a national simulation to find that actually there wasn't, you know, we weren't prepared for a pandemic. It was the government's responsibility to do that. It's a very interesting change um, in ideology from the Conservatives, and I don't think I've seen this mentioned anywhere else. But um, a few years ago, because NHS was such a strength for the Labour Party, they were saying, why don't we have a cross-party approach? Why don't we agree to that? And a lot of people agree with that idea that if you depoliticise this really political thing, the NHS, then um, you know, then maybe you could have more um, a more long-term plan rather than parliament to parliament and then everything changes. Um, and, and they wanted to have kind of less control of the NHS and, and more power to the, the structures and, the, and basically almost like the civil service of the NHS. And they've gone completely around on that and they want to take it back into control. And it does make me think we've got this deal coming up with the USA. Um, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a push to privatise that has been a long time. And mm. there are so many of the people who are involved in the Conservative Party who have private um, healthcare interests. And it just makes me think, is this going to be part of the deal? We were told all sorts of things. We were told that, um, that there would never be any uh, danger to food standards, food hygiene standards. And yet, you know, that's going to be part of the deal now. And they've all voted for it willingly, even though it was in the manifesto that they wouldn't. And then they said during the election campaign, oh, our NHS is safe. You know, American interests won't be in there. I can see this being a real gateway. And so actually you are going to have to accept Big Pharma. You know, you mm. are going to have to select that type of pill even though there's a generic one that's seven times cheaper you've got to choose this one and i think this is what people really i think the labor party really failed to articulate this during the election when they were talking about privatization of the nhs they weren't talking about us turning up and suddenly having to pay even though some doctor surgeries were doing that what we're talking about is actually the money that's spent in the nhs being spent less wisely so you get a poorer service and then you have to then go private for certain aspects of it. And one of those things is if you've got, like if you pay for your prescriptions and turn up pay for your prescription, then you get, instead of, uh, instead of brand A, you get brand X and brand X is seven times the price because we've got a deal. We've got an agreement with the USA big pharma firm 
that that is who's going to supply it. And that is what those firms are interested in. Imagine them looking at that and saying, the government are going to pay for that. This is going to cost these people, I think it's nine pounds for a prescription now, nine pounds, but we charge 170 pounds for this amount of pills, but you'll get it for nine pounds and the government picks up the rest of the tab, which the money goes away. And then they say, oh, we're spending record amounts on the NHS. Look at us, we're putting more and more money in the NHS, <laughs> but in a really, really unwise way. How in the world do we Paul. articulate that? That's the important thing that we need to learn how to do. Just, um, we, we are running out of time. Last word to, um, to, to Stuart on this. I've got two questions for you. Do you think, Stuart, that this is just an alternative? Having a big talk about how we're going to restructure the NHS just is an alternative to actually spending some more money on it and keeping their promises about new staff and new building? Absolutely. I mean, the, the real restructure we need is just funding it properly. That would be, you know, the most radical thing we could possibly do for it. Uh, we've seen not, the, the promises have been broken. We're not going to see those new hospitals. We're not getting those new staff. And, you know... And we're not going to pay rise. No. France got a pay rise today, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. French Health Service. Yeah. Can I just ask you one more question, Stuart, as well, before, before we go? Um, sort of, uh, and I have to say this, this is just speculation at the moment. Well, well, it's, it's even speculation about the, whether they're going to have all this uh, sort of big restructuring and big disruption. Um, are we being too negative on the government too soon, do you think? God, you no. No, you, you can't trust the government. It doesn't matter. To be honest, it doesn't matter who's in power. Just, you know, constant scrutiny is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to question everything, otherwise, you know, you just land to the slaughter. And on that bombshell, um, <laughs> we, we will... Thank you, Stuart. That's just... What you've done is you've just justified political unmuted. Exactly <laughs> why we're here. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Um, that is it for today, people. Can I say thank you to just these three wonderful people who I'm continually interrupting and shutting them up so I can let one of the other ones speak. Thank you so much for putting up with me. Um, you've been fantastic today. Um, uh, we, next week, we are joined by an extra guest, uh, the amazing Mel Wilson. Uh, so, yeah, so, so that was going to be really good. Um, and uh, we slowly, people, crank up to what we used to be. We're taking it very easy and slowly, but sort of um, we're, we're going to slowly get there. Thank you very much for your patience with us. And we're going to play out um, with the amazing Joe Solo, who is being interviewed this weekend on Socialist Think Tank. Watch out for the podcast and uh, sort of what's become our theme tune, really. No pass around. God bless you, people. Thank you so much. We'll keep the red flag flying here.